0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to class number eight. What was originally meant to be the final class uh, on the dispossessed, but of course is not quite going to be the last one. Uh, It is still my goal to uh, uh, have this be the penultimate class, but we'll see how we do. Arthur says, uh, <laughs> mine escaping from harsh reality by retreating into the comfort of a bleak dystopian landscape. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, uh... Yeah, yeah. You just gotta see the funny side of things, Arthur, that's all. Anyway, um, yeah, let's do that. Let us, uh, d- well, first, let me, uh, uh, quick note, just a reminder about where we're headed, as I said. I hope that we, um... I hope that we have the one class left to go that's my goal to uh to get through everything next time I'm still reasonably confident that we're going to get there, so uh, so we'll see how we do there next time. That means that next time I, I hope to have uh, uh, an official start date for The Return of the Shadow. Uh, that, of course, just to remind you, is our next, officially now, our next book. Um, we're going to be talking about The Return of the Shadow, volume six, right? Six, sudden doubt yes 6 volume 6 I'm counting books on my shelf across the room over there yes book 6 of the history of middle earth series um uh, by Christopher Tolkien, and again, this is a, a really exciting one. Um, of course, uh, one I know that many have been looking forward to. Obviously, I've been really enjoying our entire look at the history of Middle Earth series so far, and I have learned a very, very great deal from uh, this as this series as we've been going through that. Um, but of course, now we're starting the manuscript history of the Lord of the Rings itself. So if you uh, if you know, if you if you would like to, or if you know anyone who would who who you know would be interested in uh, studying that with us, I, I strongly recommend that you start spreading the word about that. We should have a link up for that. Before too long, I do need to sort out when exactly I'm going to start that. But, um, but anyway, it will be soon. I'm 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 thinking uh, I, the week after Thanksgiving. I don't want to do it the night before Thanksgiving because a lot of people be traveling then. So I'm thinking that the the Wednesday after American Thanksgiving is uh, is is our likeliest date for that. There, so um, that is probably when we're going to start off, um, and uh, so you can start start warning people, getting people ready for that. And we will, uh, uh, we will, we will get the, the official link to them about that soon. So, so be prepared and start spreading the word. It's going to be awesome. The second thing about that, just a little side note, um, first to thank you guys for, uh, helping you guys have been great guinea pigs as I've been experimenting with this new webinar interface. Um, uh, and my, um, my, uh, uh confession. So this has been a very successful experiment in that we are, um, uh, Definitely not going to use this one <laughs> moving forward. I've decided that it's the that especially the the audio quality and uh, and the video quality as well are just too poor, unfortunately. Um, uh, and there are other issues too, but those are really the biggest ones. Um, so there are a bunch of things that I've really liked about this, but we're gonna I'm gonna have to keep looking, which means I hope you don't mind, you guys uh, get to be uh, continue to get to be guinea pigs with yet new interfaces that I will use. Uh, uh, later on. So probably the Return of the Shadow will be in an entirely new uh, uh, interface. So um, we'll see. Yeah, the, Yana, I agree. The hold music is fun. There are definitely, definitely upsides to this. This, uh, 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 Well, I mean, obviously, if this uh, system had been a complete disaster, I wouldn't have carried on using it through the whole class. But uh, but anyway, we've, uh, you know, we, 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 we gave it a full trial, and it's, I, I don't think, long-term it's going to, um, it's going it's gonna work. But anyway, um, yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize that, Karita. I didn't realize that, uh, it, it has been impairing you from, uh, uh, from using the chat room. <clears throat> That's interesting. I didn't realize that. Um, you, it won't let you type unless it's full screen. Really? Really? I had no idea of that limitation. Interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, um, I was gonna discontinue it create it even before I learned that shocking fact but uh but yeah that 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 certainly is uh suboptimal anyway, so we'll keep you posted uh but uh I'm just saying don't be shocked if we have a new uh um don't be shocked if we have a new interface next time, so all right let's uh Let's jump back uh, into Ursula Le Guin here. So, this time I want to start off doing what I've been threatening to do for a couple classes now, and that is talk about the time stuff. Um, In a way, we've been, you know, sort of the time stuff and the physics stuff. Um, One question, and I'm, I apologize, I'm forgetting who it was who asked me this question uh, before. Um, But somebody, one of our regular people, asked me the question um, of, what are we supposed to make of the physics in this book? That is, this was asked me by a non-physics person. And, uh, um, it was, um, uh, yeah. So, so uh, the, the, the question was just basically like, is this the physics she talks about? How much of this stuff is real stuff and how much of this stuff is made up, um, We'll talk about that a little bit as we go along. Uh, There'll be some obvious moments when when that will come up. I will just say, sort of in general, of course, you'll remember that the one one thing that they repeatedly say is how Setian physics has moved way far beyond anything that they ever did on Terra, right, which is Earth. So uh, we're being told in advance, uh, one way to kind of translate that for the lay reader of this book is... Don't worry about it, <laughs> right? A lot of the, the that the physics involved that you know that the kind of physics that that Shevik is doing is by the the whole conceptual frame of the story something which is alien, literally alien, right to uh, Earth physics. So no, this is not like uh, you know some some. Uh, you know, contemporary or you know contemporary, when the book was written uh physics theory that she's that she's trotting out there um, but uh, anyway, anyway, but there is of course some earth physics involved, and we'll get to especially with relativity, and we'll get to that uh we'll get to that later tonight um but um yeah, so Nancy, it would be a difficult thing for her to do practically, of course, there are science fiction writers who do this right who who do. Um you know, use some fairly advanced scientific theories in their works. Um, and sometimes that can work really, really brilliantly. Sometimes it can become really make the whole thing really impenetrable and painful to read. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think she actually handles it really well. Um, I think that she sort of points at the physics that Chevik is doing without really trying to specify exactly what it is. That, I mean, we know the idea, right? And th- there's a, there's a parallel to the idea. The fact that he's, he's trying to come up to come up with the, 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 the general temporal theory, right? He's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to unite the different uh, kinds of temporal physics. These two, these two different ways of approaching the physical representation of time, uh, you know, the theoretical understanding of time. Um, and he's trying to unify them conceptually we know that, right? What's actually involved? What kind of equations would actually be involved? We don't know, right? That's, But we don't need to know that, right? And in fact, I love the way that she... Like, she doesn't just fake it, right? Um, because, of course, it's, it's really quite beautiful. The fact that Shevik understands this stuff and we don't understand exactly what it is that he's talking about and exactly what it is that he's doing, what his equations are, what are his terms, what are his variables? We have no idea, right? But of course we don't because that's part of the premise of the story, right? That Shevik understands this stuff and nobody else on Inaris does. So here's us like every... and, And the question is what's going to be our attitude towards Chevik and Chevik's physics, right? Are we going to have, like, Sobel's attitude? Are we going to have Rulag's attitude? Are we going to have uh, takvers attitude or Badab's attitude, right? But in any case, whichever one it is, we're not going to understand it, right? Um, so, anyway, I, I, I think she actually handles that really well and actually makes that difficulty of comprehension into a really, uh, a really interesting Element of the story itself, so I, I I found that that worked out really well. We'll come we'll come down to some of the some of the actual physics concepts, um, especially of course. I think that the really essential thing at the crucial moment in the story, um, which I was I was you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get there here uh, in the first half of class. Okay, that was a rash statement. Um, anyway. Uh, we'll get there to what I think is really, you know one of the really central moments of the entire story and uh, and understanding having some kind of conceptual understanding of the theory of relativity is actually kind of important to that so we'll talk about relativity a little bit um, when we uh, uh, when we get there okay let's uh let's look so we have talked about the sort of the way in which and this is something that we didn't talk about too much at first uh you know we kind of made note of the way that the plot of the story jumps around you know the course jumping from one chapter to another and moving forwards and backwards in time but we've been talking about that more and more this is something the way in which she introduces us to the concept of sequency and simultaneity right as the two different ways of understanding time um the way that she compels us as readers to confront the awkwardness, right? The sort of, uh, uh, the way that she forces us to confront the fact that we can think about this in two different ways. We can, and I forget who it was that suggested reshuffling the, cha- rereading the book, putting the, you know, reading all the even-numbered chapters first and then going back and reading all the odd-numbered chapters, um, which you can totally do. And if you do that, you will, Create a completely sequency version of the story, right? Um, and you can do that. It, that's there, right? That story, that 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 sequential story exists. But of course, if you do that, then you cease to have the simultaneity at the same time you right? are. You cease to be combining the sequency and simultaneity, which the sh- shape of the whole narrative compels us to do. Um, I think it is one of the I think this is a safe statement to make. I think that's one of the like five most brilliant maneuvers I've ever seen an author achieve uh, in the shaping of a story before. I mean, to take a concept like sequence and simultaneity as sort of, you know, a, with temporal physics interested in sequence and simultaneity as being a sort of a central plot drive of the story and a central motif of the story and to manipulate really kind of indirectly in the sense she gets us she gets us there indirectly and that we don't have to be thinking about it actively right by the time we get to the point of the story you know up in chapter 9 and then in chapter 11 or you know 10 and 11 by the time we get to the actual discussions of time right um by the time we get there uh we um we already have a kind of intuitive understanding of how this like she has through the structure of the, of her own narrative given us a kind of intuitive grasp of the issues at stake here and that is just freaking brilliant <laughs> beyond beyond uh, uh almost anything i've seen accomplished i mean uh um it is um it 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 reminds me of things like Tom Stoppard's Arcadia, which is just again with the math and physics, uh, uh, uh an incredibly incredibly brilliantly constructed play in that case. But um, anyway, it's um, it's really cool, and I think the way that that works is good. So I just wanted to just kind of do a little sort of review. Um yeah Nancy I've never seen Arcadia performed on stage I used to teach it in my English 1 1 class um trying to get my fr- my college freshman to 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 explain Arcadia and to see how everything fit together um was like the end of the semester challenge uh for paper writing uh in my English 1 on 1 class um so I have taught that play uh uh, many, many times, and I've read I practically, I, I could probably act almost any of the roles. I would suck at it, but but I could, I know the lines. Um, but I've never seen it on stage, actually, Nancy. I've always kind of wanted to. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I I can't even imagine, and this is something Nancy I used to talk about in class, I can't even imagine somebody going to Tom Starford's Arcadia and getting it, like in one sitting, right? I mean, it, it's just, it's something you have to kind of beat your head against again and again uh, before the, just the, the luminous genius of that play, uh, uh, finally sort of unfolds. Um, but, uh, but let's get back to, uh, let's get back to, to the dispossessed. So as we go through, we get these reminders, right? Just in case we weren't really thinking about the, the interspersed chapters in this way, we get these, these moments, right? Which I really kind of continue to draw it to our attention. Uh, this is, this was one of my favorites. This is Shevik talking to Sabol, uh, and this is when he's getting fired, right? When Sabol's going to tell him that he's been, like, voted off the academic island, right? Um, no letters, Shevik asks. No. That's odd. What's odd about it? What did you expect? A lectureship at at Aeon at University? The Seo Owen Prize? I expected reviews and replies. There's been time, he said. He said this as Sabol said. Hardly been time for reviews yet. There was a pause. So, of course, this is a, this is sort of one fun little moment, right? Uh, the, the fact that they both, the two of them both, I mean, they're, you know, they're, 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 having an argument right there about they're always having an argument um you know this is the guy who's been chiefly fighting him about simultaneity and the the really fun kind of playful irony of their simultaneously saying these two contradictory things is really fun but of course it's more than that right what did you expect a lectureship at ioa university the Sayo Owen Prize. Well, we know that he got both of those things, right? You know, we learned that in chapter one. We certainly um, learned even more about it in chapter three. So, yeah, yeah, of course we know. it's. And, and, and remember, it's not just that. It's not only dramatic irony, right? That would be kind of a normal thing <clears throat> for an author to pull off, right? If uh, If somebody at a chronologically earlier point Says, what did you expect this to happen? And the thing happens again later on. Or even if we, the audience, already know that the thing has already happened, but that character doesn't know that the thing has already happened. And so, um, but of course, this is particularly interesting because that Seo Owen Prize was given to him well in the past. Like what we learn later, which we've already learned before this, in fact is that he had been given the Seo Owen Prize and he had been offered a lectureship at the university and Sabel had not told us that, right? Um, anyway, so Sabel had not told, his, Sobel is actually hiding that. So it's not just that we know that those things are going to, in fact, happen to him, right? Even though at this point in the story, Shevik is still very far from desiring or picturing a, uh, a, a a trip to Urus himself right um but it's not just that we know that those things are actually going to occur we know that they already have occurred. We are in a position where we know that Sobel is lying when he says that right that he is being not only as you say nancy abusive but also uh, also untrustworthy right he's, he's 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 he is actually being i don't know what is even the word um uh he is taunting him with what he knows actually to be true, which is doubtless informing why he feels such jealousy, uh, uh, for Shevik, right? Because he knows that Shevik has in fact received the Sayo Owen prize. Um, but anyway, so this is just another, uh, this is just another kind of one of those moments where if you've... Gone, you know, if 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 you've made it to page two sixty four without thinking about the interspersed narratives, um, and I think I might have done, I you know, probably didn't, but I totally would. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a complete sucker when I'm reading a book for the first time, and I'm I'm uh, I. I, I cheerfully hold myself open to be led around by the nose by the author in any which way she wants. So um, I, uh, I, I I always, like, gasp at the appropriate moments. And, and if I can figure out, you know, what happens earlier on, I, I actively attempt to suppress the knowledge so that I, I, can, I can try to feel surprised when it happens. Um, I'm very unsuspicious the first time I read something. Um, but anyway... Even for a very unsuspicious person, it's hard to get past passages like this without thinking about it, right? Similarly, you know, one of the transitions into the discussion of time that happens at Vea's party, right? Well, we think that time passes, flows past us, but what if it is we who move forward from past to future, always discovering the new? It would be a little like reading a book, you see. The book is all there all at once, between its covers. But if you want to read the story and understand it, you must begin with the first page and go forward, always in order. So the universe would be a very great book, and we would be very small readers. right? Um, perfectly um, arbitrary illustration right, of our relationship to time that, that, that Shevik is making here, right? He, he, he's responding, of course, to the sort of belligerent um, statement by that proprietarian guy at the party um, who is saying like, well, time passes, right? right? It's like the one thing we know about time, right? It's that time passes. And he's like, well, no, not necessarily, right? Um, And what he points to here is that when we talk about time passing, that's a metaphor. And what does, what, what, what pattern of thought does that metaphor betray? That metaphor betrays the fact that um, we are imagining ourselves as fixed, right? We're not moving. And that time is a thing that's moving past us, right? Flowing past us as if we were standing on the bank of a river and time is the water and the river flowing by, right? And that is a way to think about time and our relationship with time. But as shevich suggests here, it's not, it's not the only one. Right, um the, of course, the big difference between thinking about time as watching a river flow by or standing in a river with the water flowing around you, perhaps, um and uh time being like reading a book is a different conception, a fundamentally different conception between the uh, about the relationship between us and time, right again, the one has us being the fixed point and time being the thing that flows past us, and therefore. That's why we think about the future and the past as things that are inaccessible to us, right? The only, part of, um, the only part of time that we have access to is the present, right? The past we can't reach and the future we can't reach. Just like the, just like the river, right? You can interact with, the, if you're standing in, in a stream, right? You can interact with the water that's flowing around, you know, your ankles or your legs at the time. But you can't, like, once the water is passed downstream, you can't get it again right? It's gone. And the water that's coming down the stream, you 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 don't know really what it is and what's going to... Something could come down the stream and hit you and you don't know yet what it is, right? Um, so you have no access to the future, no access to the past. All you can do is interact with the water around your ankles, right? Again, that's based on that model of thinking about our relationship with time. But what, Shevik asks, if it's different. What if time is like a book and we are the person reading the book, the point here is that um, the point here is that time, unlike in the river, where you just have this this sort of this linear uh, uh, this linear flow of time right um, and again the, the the past things get further away, and the the future things are always getting closer, but you know they start off uh, sort of infinitely far away or whatever. But in the book, it's all—it's all—it's all there, right? So you know, we, you have that. Like you might be—you might be here, right—in your reading of the book. But uh, no, wait, wait. Where are you in the reading of the book? No, I didn't quite open to the right page. Okay, here you are in the reading of the book, right? Um, so, so this is the past and this is the future. But but it's all here, right? The past, future, present—all exist as one unified thing. It's us that's moving. Right, the water's not flowing around us. The book's not changing. The book's not flowing. Right, we are the ones who are moving. Um, and uh, uh, you know, if you if you want to read the story and understand it, you must begin at the first page and go forwards, always in order. Right. So, as far according to our experience, we 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 do just move from one page to another. But of course the big question that underlies all of the political pressure on Shevik and Uris is but could you skip chapters? Right? Is that possible? Could you do that? Um, and well, that's the question ultimately that Shevik is going to be sort of trying to answer but again, this is where you get, you see, so Thinking about us as static and the river is moving, that is fundamentally a, a sequence way of looking at things, right? Time moves in sequence past us and then it's past. This is the simultaneity model, right? It exists simultaneously. All of time exists simultaneously. Um, and it's we that are moving. So when you talk about our relationship with time, it's about how is it that we can move, that, by the way, is something that Shevik is getting uh, is or not is getting from, but that Shevik has in common with uh, with Einstein. It's one of the things that Einstein did in his special theory of relativity. That's the simpler one. Uh, it's the special theory of relativity that's sort of the simpler and preliminary one, and the general theory of relativity, which is the the sort of the larger and more complex one. But one of the things that Einstein says in his book on relativity uh, is that it, time is a variable, right? Um, he was—one of the things that Einstein did that made his calculations so remarkable uh, in the theory of relativity is that he treated time like a variable like everything else, right? Like, time is just a dimension in which we move. It's true that we do tend to move unidirectionally, right? Um but in theory, it's just another dimension like the three dimensions. Um, and so treating um, treating uh, 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 time and space, you know, the space-time continuum as this four-dimensional uh, 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 zone, right, in which you can move— um, uh, anyway so so that's that's that was one of the concepts that einstein that was that was really important to einstein you can see, you can see Chevik and Einstein have that in common here that one of the ways to understand simult- simultaneity is that but of course the point um that i um, the point that I would want to make about it of course is um yeah, oh good James well remembered I had forgotten about that uh, James points out that uh Shevik made a similar analogy the uh, the river analogy um, when he and Takver uh, talked about the bond on their on their 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 their, their camping trip that 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 hike, hike up in the mountains that they took he talked about the stream flowing but always being there yeah yeah um yeah exactly um and uh anyway good good um but, of course, the main thing I wanted to point to here is not just to sort of try to to make sure that we're wrapping our minds around the analogy the the illustration that um, that Shevik is giving us to try to understand simultaneity theory, but the point is to draw attention to the metaphor itself right uh, well simile really right um, it's of course not accidental that when i reached for a prop to illustrate this analogy. I reached for this prop. Right? Because, of course, we are reading a book at this time. Uh, and there is that uh, that issue about beginning at the first page and going forward always in order. Right? If you want to get the sequency version of this story, you can't start at the first page. You have to start at chapter two. Right? Um, so, uh, yeah. But it's all here. It's all here in simultaneous. So again, this is just, this is a really good illustration of, you know, to try to, to try to conceptually understand the kind of physics that Shevik is doing. But at the same time, it also is yet another one of those moments which uh, uh, rather elaborately draws our attention to the, to, to the fact that this narrative itself is illustrating the thing that it is attempting to explain. Kind of brilliant. Um, okay, now he's going to get it to the, the whole relationship between... This is still at the party, by the way. Still the Veya's cocktail party, right? Um, and uh, here his, his, is Shevik's attempt to talk about the relationship, uh, to explain the relationship between sequencing and simultaneity. Time goes in cycles, as well as in a line. A planet revolving, you see? One cycle, one orbit around the sun is a year, isn't it? And two orbits, two years, and so on. One can count the orbits endlessly. An observer can. Indeed, such a system is how we count time. It constitutes the time teller, the clock. But within the system, the cycle, where is time? Where is beginning or end? Infinite repetition is an atemporal process. Infinite repetition is an atemporal process. I want to carry on and make sure we're understanding the physics version of that, but think about that sentence. Infinite repetition is an atemporal process. Think about Urus and Inaris. I mean, think about that sentence. Think about the strike in the street. Think about the new Odo, right? Anyway, infinite repetition is an atemporal process. It must be compared, referred to some other cyclic or non-cyclic process to be seen as temporal. Well, this is very queer and interesting, you see. The atoms, you know, have a cyclic motion. Okay, hang on. Before we get to the atoms, we follow this so far, right? Um, You can think about time moving in a line, but time also goes in cycles. So we have these two different models for time. The linear time is sequence, right? The cyclical time is, 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 simul- is, is, is the other way of looking at time, right? Simultaneity. Um, and it could, because simultaneity is atemporality to a certain extent. It's not atemporal in the sense of being totally outside of time, like there is no time. It's a different way of thinking about time. So atemporal isn't exactly the right word. But, um, but anyway it's still, it's atemporal in the sense of not being linear time. Um, by the way, uh, that up there near the beginning is another uh, uh, another sort of classic, um, uh, classic Einsteinian moment, Einsteinian moment. Um, another one of the things that Einstein insisted on, uh, and, which was a really, really important element of, of special relativity, is that it doesn't matter what, you're, what, he, what Einstein called the laboratory frame. That is, whenever we do a calculation, whenever we are talking about motion, we always accept a frame of reference as standing still, right? It's not really standing still. So okay, if in a laboratory you're measuring the movement of an object, you, you take the laboratory frame, right, the table, the walls, the ceiling, as if they were stationary, Right. And the motion that you're calculating is relative to that stationary framework. Right. What he called the laboratory framework. Um, So. uh, um, And one of the points that he made was any laboratory framework is arbitrary um, and it is appropriate uh, to talk about motion from the point of view of any framework. Again, it was one of the things that was really essential to the theory of relativity is not to be bound not to make the kind of assumptions that people were always uh, want to make about like, what is the, the the context? He was very good Einstein was very good at looking at the one thing from multiple different angles, right? That is to say like that motion that you're describing, you know, that you're observing that's going across a laboratory space, it's a linear motion, right? Except it's not a linear motion. If you take, if you if you shift your laboratory frame of reference from the room that the experiment happens in to the sun, say, right, then what you're seeing, that motion in that room is just like one little curved blip in the curved motion of the, because of course the room is in a, is in a building, right, which is on a landmass, which is on a planet, which is spinning and moving around the sun, right? So in fact, you know as i'm sitting here in my chair i'm hurtling through space at the same time it depends on your frame of reference right if i accept you know my room here as my as my my uh laboratory frame of reference i am standing still right but of course if the sun is my frame of reference i'm moving very fast and if a point outside the sun right if a point in like a like say the galactic center right of the milky way galaxy is uh is the frame of reference, then the motion is going to be even more extreme and in a different, of a different kind and in a different direction, right? Um, uh, so this is another th- another element, um, an- another kind of Einsteinian touch, which is, I- I- again, I think important to understanding Shevik's what makes Shevik different? And again, this is one of the things that made Einstein different. Um, uh, it, most people didn't talk like that. Didn't think like that. Didn't work. Uh, and, and it's, it's one of the things that makes, uh, that makes relativity. It's one of the things that gives a name, by the way, to the theory of relativity. Um, but, because uh, again, it's everything is relative to the, 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 the laboratory frame, the frame of reference. Um, small side note. Uh, You know what happens when you accept, when you make astronomical observations about the movements of the sun and the planets and you accept the earth as your laboratory frame of reference? The Aristotelian cosmos, the medieval cosmos, right? The geocentric solar system. I I I. This has always been something that's it's always has it's always kind of made me laugh. Uh, you know when like modern people get all like, pff, oh, pff, we we know that the Earth doesn't revo- the Sun doesn't revolve around the Earth. And I'm like, really? Who says? I mean, again, that was one of the, that was one of the things that Einstein challenged, right? He says, you know, he says like you you you'd say that the Earth revolves around the Sun. No, it doesn't, right? That's assuming the Sun is your is your laboratory frame of reference, right? But Frames of reference are arbitrary and you can adopt anything you want as a frame of reference. If you adopted a frame of reference uh, again, if you take the galactic center as your frame of reference, then the sun and the planets are all like they're, they're doing this. They're like doing these wobbly lines in a big, huge circle. Like, you know, neither one of them is orbiting anything else. Right. Um, So really in one sense, what happened, and again, the, 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 classical the ancient and medieval observations about the movement of celestial bodies was really quite accurate if you take the earth as your laboratory frame of reference which they did anyway sorry i'll get off my little that little uh, that little hobby horse right now um but um uh but see yana no we don't we don't all revolve around a common center of gravity which lies within the sun the the the, the gravity the the gravitational system that we call the solar system can only be said to be centered at the sun if we accept the sun and our solar system as our laboratory frame of reference. But it's, there's nothing, again, one of the things that he, that that Einstein kept coming back to is that that's not, there's like, there isn't a, a correct frame of reference. It's all arbitrary like you can it's sometimes profitable and sometimes sometimes more or less profitable uh for like mapping and understanding things to to take different frames of reference and you have to make sure that when you're doing calculations and applying equations that you're consistent in your frames of reference right um but you but there's there there is no uh there is no right or wrong frame of reference. And sometimes when you shift your frame of reference and look at the same thing from a different point of view, it looks quite different. And that's the kind of thing which I think is really important both to Shevik's physics and to this story as a whole. Of course, think about the NRSD chapter's and the Urasti chapters, right? And think about the way in which we have not only this sort of shift in time, right, that we've been talking about, but of course the way in which we have those things as sort of sort of cultural shifts of frames of reference, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Anyway, yeah, the, the 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 there are different sort of metaphorical levels on which this can be understood, right? You you think about this from the very beginning, right? Think of the 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 conversations between Shevik and the doctor on the mindful, um, back in chapter one, right? And the way in which we see them attempting to converse, right? But what that their frames of reference are different, right? They don't even understand exactly. What the other one is talking about, like when, when, uh, um, when the doctor says, "Do you, on artist, treat men and women exactly the same?" Right, and Shevik thinks he's he's uh, he, uh, asking something very different than what he's asking, right? Because their cultural frame frames of reference are are shifted, and and think about the way that our own. But again, there's more than just. It's more than just this person is from a different culture and so we have this, uh, you know, this sort of outsider in in, in, in in a different society. But rather the entire way of looking at, our way of looking at things shifts. But not, like that is, when we're in the Urus chapters, we are, in fact, I would even go so far as to say that as the book goes on, we get a an almost reverse frame of reference that okay that is on the simplest level right we have we see Shevik interacting with the Urosti frame of reference in the in the odd number chapters and Shevik operating within the NRST frame of reference in the even number chapters so for the first half of the book easily um, that's what we see happening right? And we as readers are kind of orienting ourselves, trying to come to understand those two basic frameworks. But notice what happens as we get towards the end of the book, right? Um, think about what happens in chapter 11, right? Chapter 11 is the chapter when uh, he goes to the Terran embassy, right? And finds, uh, seeks asylum at the Terran embassy. Um, and that's the 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 moment when he, he condemns Urus as hell, right? Acknowledges that Urus is hell. Um, the odd-numbered chapters are the Uris framework, right? And yet, what we see as we go through is that the more we come to understand these different frameworks, the more we begin to see, the more Shevik himself returns to, and the more we begin to see the, the odd-numbered chapters from an Anoresti framework, Right? And the same thing is true, I think, the other way around. Um, in the even-numbered chapters, at first, it's just acclimating ourselves to anaristi culture, which is more alien to us than the urasti culture is. Um, but by the end of the book, we are we are becoming good Odonians, right? That is, we are able to mount an Odonian critique, as we've been doing, especially in the last class, um, of anaresti society itself. So there's us not looking at Anaris really from an Anoresti standpoint, but from outside it, right? From an external laboratory frame of reference um, looking at Anaris. And is that the Urasti standpoint? It's not exactly the Urasti standpoint, but it, it's because we've been going back and forth that we're able, I think, to see more clearly the way in which these uh, these two systems, to be able to see kind of the the holes and the weaknesses and the problems. Um, and yeah, Noam says at the end, it's a plague on both their houses situation. Yeah, it does feel, that, feel like that, Noam. But isn't that interesting, right? That by as the frame of reference shifts as we go through and we begin to see see where we are at the end, right? What is our frame of reference? In chapter 13, what's our frame of reference? Right? Are we looking at things from from an NRST viewpoint or are we looking at things from an Arasti standpoint? Both and neither, right? We reject we can reject both societies from the outside, right? And yet we can also to some extent accept both of them from within, in some ways. It's, it's, um, it is certainly not the kind of black and white, like literally black and white, okay, not literally black and white, um, but, uh, the, uh, uh it's not the clear cut dichotomy that at the beginning of the book it looked like it might, it might become. And Noam, you're absolutely right to point out that we get a third point of view in the last chapter, right? The Hainish one, absolutely. Um, And I don't say, I think, Noam, it would be going a little too far to say that we see the end of the story in chapter 13 from a Hainish frame of reference. But it is, I think, important. You're right. And I think it's interesting that we get that. um, Noam, here's what I would say about it. Um, We start with the wall and that. That first fundamental at the very beginning of the book, we start with the wall and that first fundamental question, right? Is it, is uh, who's keeping what out, right? Which side of the wall are we looking at, right? And in a sense, what we've been doing throughout the book is jumping from one side of the wall to the other and looking back through it, right? We're still we're staring at the wall, whichever way we look, right? Sometimes we're looking at one side of the wall and sometimes we're looking at the other side of the wall. I think where we get to at the end, um, as you say, Noam, it's a plague on both their houses at the end. It's the wall, right? That's what the, that's what the, that, that's what we get. That's what we see from both sides is the wall. Um, in the last chapter, it's not, I, 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 I'm not willing to say that we get the Hainish point of view or the Hainish um, frame of reference. Cause we don't really get to know enough about the Hainish and what exactly the, how the Hainish think and how that works and everything. But But the mere fact that we have um, a Hainish character there and this sort of this totally non setian viewpoint, which we've already begun to get from the Terran ambassador in Chapter 11, but with the Hainish, the Hainish are somehow more alien than the uh, than the the Earth folks. Right. Um, But uh, anyway, um, what we do get in that last chapter is one last step back. Right where I think for the first time it's safe to say that in that last chapter what we're finally seeing is this right both worlds not standing on one world looking at the other remember the number of times we've been doing that in the course of this book right like on Anaris and looking up at the moon which is Urus right um, you think of Takver and and, uh, uh, and and Shevik. Crying in the moonlight and not being able to tell whose tears are whose, right? As the moon is above them, right? We're no longer on a world looking at a moon. That's a major frame of reference thing, too. And remember that frame of reference shift as he goes up in the the rocket at the beginning. This is the picture that we get at the end of the book. That is an outside frame which sees both of the planets in the frame, right? in the frame of reference. Okay, so I've not gotten so far in this passage because I got distracted on a long uh, relativity side note. I hope that was okay. Let's carry on. No, let's start again. Time goes in cycles. We think about time again uh, after thinking about Einstein for a while. Time goes in cycles as well as in a line, a planet revolving, you see. One cycle, one orbit around the sun is a year, isn't it? And two orbits, two years, and so on. One can count orbits endlessly. An observer can, that is, somebody from outside the system. Indeed, such a system is how we count time. It constitutes the time teller, the clock. But within the system, the cycle, where is time? Where is beginning or end? Time isn't linear within the cycle, right? Infinite repetition is an atemporal process. It must be compared, referred to some other cyclic or non-cyclic process to be seen as temporal. Well this is very queer and interesting you see the atoms you know <clears throat> the atoms you know have a cyclic motion the stable compounds are made of constituents that have a regular periodic motion relative to one another in fact it is the tiny time reversible cycles of the atom that give matter enough permanence that evolution is possible the little timelessness added together make up time and then on the big scale the cosmos Well, you know that we think that the whole universe is a cyclic process, an oscillation of expansion and contraction without any before or after. Only within each of the great cycles, where we live, only there is linear time, evolution, change. So then, time has two aspects. There is the arrow, the running river, without which there is no change, no progress, or direction, or creation. And there is the circle, or the cycle, without which there is chaos, meaningless succession of instants, a world without clocks or seasons or promises. Okay. Um, Now. I don't want to get bogged down in all of the specific things that he talks about here. I want to make sure we see the big picture. What's the big picture? Okay, no, I'm not going to ask you to answer that. Um, You're welcome to answer that, but I'm not going to put you guys on the spot. Um, Time has two aspects. That's the central point here, right? The argument that he's making, so the cycle, that atemporal cycle, the cycle without beginning or end, right? Um, Where there is no... Progress. There is no um, no change, no progress, no direction. Right. That is simultaneity. Sequency is succession, the arrow, the running river. Right. Without sequence, there can be no change, no progress, no direction, no creation. All of those things require sequence simultaneity though also exists and notice what he says about simult- so sequence happens right but sequence is both premised on on the microscopic level on the atomic level right cyclic processes and motions and is embedded within on the macroscopic level the great cycle of the expansion and contraction of the universe right um, my advice to you don't worry about those individual theories. Don't worry about the like the cyclical movement of, of of atoms and things. Don't worry about it. Just accept it, right? If you're interested in this, you can talk about this. But but don't worry about it. Don't worry. about you don't have, that, that doesn't. If that doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't have to make sense to you. Um, do, 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 uh, do you want to debate about the? Does the universe expand and contract? I don't want to debate about that let's not talk about that it doesn't matter what matters is the concept right the concept that should just 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 run with shevak here right and what Shevak is saying is that both things have both are essential ways to understand time if we don't understand time in both ways we're not understanding what time really is okay there is both the circle and the cycle without which there's just chaos right or, uh um, without sequence, there's no change. There's no evolution. There's no pr- think about the significance of evolution right that, that of that word in this in this book, right? Evolution is not spoken of, I mean almost never. I very, very rarely, if at all talked about in a biological sense like a Darwinian sense um, social evolution. Right, um, odonians are very interested in 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 social evolution, right um yeah, yeah, so exactly, no duality, time is both of these things at once, and if you only hold to one of these two ways of looking at time, right, if you only think of time as a cycle, you're not seeing the whole picture. If you only think of time as sequence, then you're not seeing the whole picture, okay? Time is both. Um, and what Shevik is trying to do in physics, right, is the theory that the, his general theory, the general temporal theory, is one which can mathematically describe both of those things simultaneously, can, can mathematically describe the nature of time that incorporates both, the, the, both the concept of sequence and the concept of simultaneity. Um, can you grasp that, you know, sort of mathematically? And Don't worry about it. If you can't, don't worry about it. It's fine. You don't need to. It's totally irrelevant. Right? What matters is the concept. Um, and again, notice, see how this maps onto the larger story, right? That larger frame with both of the planets in the middle, right? Um, And uh, uh, so, yes, yes. Um, One of the things that I'm trying to do there, one... One reaction that I've encountered, I don't mean reaction to this book. I, I don't know this book well enough to have encountered many different reactions to it over time. But um, I mean, after all, remember this is one of the f- books I've read for the first time in preparation for our discussions here. So uh, uh, I am uh, very far from an expert on this book. But I've seen this kind of reaction from students and readers in many other contexts. That is, if you if you butt up against a really complex concept that you don't understand something like the the, the sort of the the relativity stuff or the, the the temporal physics uh in this story um one fairly common uh reaction one fairly common um uh, uh, sort of coping mechanism uh is just to sort of skip it right be like oh, okay he's talking about time blah 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 i'm talking I'm shevik I'm talking about time right uh and like let's focus on you know, uh, his relationship with Vea and other things and, and thinking about his, you know, all these other stuff. Um, uh, I don't recommend that. Right. But at the same time, I also don't recommend like stopping and saying like, no, 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 until I understand, the physics behind the theory of like the tiny time reversible cycles of the atom that gives matter enough permanence that evolution is possible. Right. Until I can, until I, I, I understand every word in that sentence and how they all go together. I can't go on. Right. That's also a bad coping mechanism. Um, My argument is that the best way, especially when you're, when you're doing this at first, um, you know, in your first, second, third read of the book, what I think is I, you don't want to get bogged down in it um, or else you'll, you'll, you'll miss it. Right. But at the same time, you shouldn't skip it either because it's really important to understanding the whole story. Um, as I have been trying to show, it's all really tied together. Um, so just make sure that you can get what is the central idea, Right. What is sort of the gist of the thing? What is he getting at about time? Um, We can accept the details on faith if we need to. As long as we get to, then time has two aspects, right? And both of these things. um, There is no... Without sequence, there is no change. Without simultaneity, there is only chaos, right? Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Now, De'Ari points out uh, something which one of you were just pointing out uh, earlier on. Um, But look here, said De'Ari, with ineffable satisfaction in his own keenness. You just said that in your simultaneity system, there is no past and future, only a sort of eternal present, right? Remember the book. It's all here, right? Um, We are moving around in it, but the book, the entire book is right here simultaneously, the whole past, present, and future of the book in my hand at one time, right? Um, Okay. Only a sort of eternal present. So how can you be responsible for the book that's already written? All you can do is read it. There's no choice. No freedom of action left. So I I forget which one of you it was. One of you was pointing out that the way that he was talking about simultaneity when we were talking about the river versus the book um, sounded like like predestination, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That is the dilemma of determinism, Shevik says. You are quite right. It is implicit in in simultaneous thinking, but sequency thinking also has its dilemma. It is like this, to make a foolish little picture. You are throwing a rock at a tree, and if you are a simultaneous, the rock has already hit the tree, and if you are a sequentist, it never can. So which do you choose? Maybe you prefer to throw rocks without thinking about it. No choice. I prefer to make things difficult. And choose both, right? Now, of course, you all you all recognize this, right? right? Oh yeah, Jordan, that was you, thanks. The rock and the tree, Nancy, exactly, right? The thing that he saw, the insight that he had back in the speaking and listening group in chapter two, the thing that got him kicked out of the speaking and listening group, right? Because he was egoizing, he wasn't sharing, nobody else was interested in this because that was the first time he's confronted with the fact that he sees things and understands things that other people don't see and don't understand, right? Um, or that are certainly way beyond him. The guy says, you got that out of a book, and Shevik is just curious to go, like, wait, somebody else thought of that, right? Um, and he meant it as a joke, right? Um, but remember that too. The thing about not the rock not being able to hit the tree is a sequency joke. Like the rock does hit the tree, right? But that's sort of the point that he, in the end, comes... What we see him do at the party here, in essence, is kind of coming around to prove the point that he made way back when, right? Um, That uh, the... It's a joke exactly because... That's not how time really works. Everybody knows that if you, you can, in fact, hit a tree with a rock, right? The rock doesn't get stuck halfway and then halfway and halfway and only approach asymptotically close to the tree and not hit it, right? It, in fact, does hit the tree. Um, and I take, by the way, the his implication there to, to be that um, no simultaneity, just as sequencing doesn't actually mean that you can't hit trees with rocks. Um, So, too, simultaneous thinking does not necessarily mean that everything is predestined and there's no freedom of action left, right? But how can that be? How can it be that you really can hit a tree with a rock? And how can it be that you can have freedom of action? How is that possible? Not a rhetorical question. How is it possible? How is it possible to hit a tree with a rock Or to have freedom of action? How is it possible to have the freedom of action to hit a tree with a rock? By the way, maybe you prefer to throw rocks without thinking about it. That's kind of a dig at Sobble, right? That's Sobble right there, right? Um... Sable was the one who, was, uh, who, was just prefer, who would prefer to throw rocks at trees without thinking about it, right? Let's just insist on sequencing um, and give no thought to the problems that thinking about things in an exclusively sequencing manner brings about, right? Um, the answer to the question... How can you have the freedom of action to hit a tree with a rock? Is that both are true. If only simultaneity, if simultaneity were the only, mo- were the description of the, the only description of the nature of time, then yeah, there'd be no freedom of action. It would be, did, the dilemma of determinism would be true. If sequencing were the only thing, then you, you couldn't hit the tree with the rock. Right. But you can hit the tree with the rock and you can have freedom of action. You can make a choice like Shevik makes a choice. Right. In fact, like Shevik makes a choice right after this. Right. It's the morning after he's having this conversation that he wakes up and says, what the heck am I doing? I'm going to go do something different now. I'm going to go find the poor people and the revolutionaries and try to, you know, uh, not, not, just, I mean, I'm going to stop being used by the proprietarians now. Um, so he's going to step away from the dilemma of determinism <clears throat> tomorrow morning, right? Just as, going back one, right? Just as time has both, right? You've got both the linear and the cycle, Right? And the two of them together, the little, timeless, the, the little timelessnesses of the cycle added together make up time, right? It is without the arrow or the running river, there's no change, progress, direction, or creation, right? So, um, the anth- again, the answer to the question, why aren't either one of those dilemmas ultimately valid? is because both of them are true at once. Both, it's, the, the, those dilemmas only come about when you're thinking exclusively about one or the other. When you are accepting one frame of reference as a normative frame of reference, um, as the the right one, the correct one, the default one, which is the same problem that you get into with Urus and Anaris of course, right? Um... Let's keep going. Here's him actually reading Ainsetain. Uh, Cet- uh, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Ein, let's do it's let's, let's call it Ainsetain. Most of the physics in it was, after all, outdated. The methods were cumbersome, and the alien attitude sometimes quite disagreeable. The Terrans had been intellectual imperialists jealous wall-builders. Even Einstein, the originator of the theory, had felt compelled to give warning that his physics embraced no mode but the physical, and should not be taken as implying the metaphysical, the philosophical, or the ethical. Which, of course, was superficially true, and yet he had used number, the bridge between the rational and the perceived, between psyche and matter. Number the indisputable, as the ancient founders of the noble science had called it. To employ mathematics in this sense was to employ the mode that preceded and led to all other modes. Einstein had known that, with endearing caution, he had admitted that he believed his physics did indeed describe reality. What's he talk so? What's he talking about with the intellectual imperialist thing? Um, let, me, let me offer this question. Shevich describes ways that Einstein talks about his own theory, talks about the theory of relativity. In this paragraph, he describes it, right? In the passage I just read. What, in Einstein's writing here, in Ainsatain, rather, in Ainsatain's writing, um, betrays the intellectual imperialism of Terran society. See what I mean? Uh, Interesting side note, Jordan. I will answer that as other people are thinking of my other question. Um, Jordan says, uh, why do so many science fiction authors refer to Earth as Terra? Um, uh, great question, um, or Tellus, which is another old word for the planet. Um, I believe simply because they want to keep the ability to use the word Earth as a, as a generic term, right? To talk about the Earth, um, whether they mean it in the sense of like soil, or whether they want to talk about it in like an elemental sense. Um, Or if they want to talk about planets as Earths, right? Um, Of course, ultimately, Earth isn't really a proper name, exactly. Um, In fact, what Earth is, is like the word Earth kind of betrays the fact that the people who call Earth that have a default frame of reference, which they take to be a normative frame of reference, right? Ours is the planet, right um uh which is fine like that's understandable right it's not like that's a that's a that's a ludicrous frame of reference but once that frame of reference shifts we need a name right so terra it's not like it's a complete solution of the problem right i mean terra is just the latin word for uh earth so um but anyway it's at least kind of used as a proper noun but ultimately the desire, I, I, I believe it stems from the desire not to use the word Earth as a proper noun, essentially. Okay. um. So, how do Sedain's words here betray the intellectual imperialism of Terran society? James Stephen talks about intellectually building walls between theory and reality. Um, Yes, I think so. Though, notice that what he emphasizes from uh, from Einstein here is that is Einstein's disclaimer, right? And 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 you're right, James, that there is a there. He is try He is explicitly putting up a wall, right? His physics embraced no mode but the physical, and should not be taken as implying the metaphysical, philosophical, or the ethical. You see what. Einstein just did. He quarantined his physics, right? He put up a wall around it, like like at the port of Inaris, right? With all these other considerations outside, all these other conclusions that can be drawn from this outside, but we're just we're just focused on the little thing. We're all, we're just talking about physics here, right? Does this mean that he himself, that Einstein himself, was an intellectual imperialist? Not necessarily. I mean, I think the the way that I take, um sort of the structure of this here. Uh, the alien attitude of the book, of Einstein's book, is sometimes quite disagreeable, right? Um, what's disagreeable What's disagreeable about it? Presumably the intellectual imperialism of the Terrans, right? Okay, so where do we see that? How is that illustrated by what's said next? Um, it's not in what he says. It's not that... Einstein is himself being like a naive exemplar of that intellectual imperialism, but that he's protecting himself, right? Um, the fact that he feels compelled to give warning that his physics embrace no mode, right? Um, what bothers Shevik is the fact that that even had to be said, right? Um, not because... Shevik takes for granted that his physics embraces no mode but the physical. But the contrary, right? Shevik takes for granted that obviously there are going to be metaphysical, philosophical, and ethical implications of uh of of Einstein's theory, right? Um and the mere the fact that Einstein feels like he's got to put up this wall around it, this quarantining wall just shows you how intellectual, how imperialist that society must have been. Right? That he had to be like, no, no, I'm not I'm not trying to poach your territory, right? I'm not moving in on you. I'm just I'm just over here, right? Just just physics, right? Nobody here but us physicists. Right. Um that's sort of what Shevik is getting, it seems, from Insetain's uh, disclaimer here. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, good. Yeah, Noam was saying something very similar about uh, Einstein limiting his discussion to just physics. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I won't pursue this because this is pursuing a different line. One of the things that we could have talked about, another sort of motif we could have been tracing throughout the book, but we haven't as much, is mathematics, remember? All that stuff about the numbers, right, in the number grids. That, Shev, that made Shevix, that made juvenile Shevix so happy, right? And remember how if he, th- he, he thought if there were a book that were all numbers, it would be perfectly true and perfectly reliable, right? Um, we saw, we, we got that stuff introduced to us way back then. And, uh, uh, there's a, there's, there's, we could, but anyway, we haven't been tracing that from the beginning. So, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let myself get sidetracked into talking about number, the indisputable uh, here, and the 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 role or the nature that he that he ascribes to mathematics here. Um, but uh, notice he calls uh, uh caution endearing, right? Um, the point that he comes back to is this last one, uh. Einstein had known that with endearing caution. He had admitted that he believed his physics did indeed describe reality, right? So he might put up a quarantine around it and be like, this is just physics theory, right? But there is a link to reality. Um, it, is, it is tied to it. Okay, more, uh, more, more Einstein. Yet their original intuition had been... So that he's talking about where Terran physics went wrong. Right, how Terran physics had degenerated into engineering, right? Um, and had let, like Einstein had tried to, to make a united theory, and then soon after that, Terran physics had petered out. This, of course, is very depressing for twenty first century, a, a very uh, depressing dystopian future for twenty first century physicists. But anyway, um, that soon after that, Terran physics had had kind of petered out and become uh, had given up right, given up on the idea of the unified theory, and, uh, and become just more pragmatic instead. Yet their original intuition, he says, had been sound. At the point where they had been, progress had lain in the indeterminacy, which old Einstein had refused to accept, and his refusal had been equally correct in the long run. Only he had less, so that is the, the the different things that he's trying to reconcile, like to reconcile relativity and quantum theory, right? How can you understand all that stuff together? How you know what what is the, can you can you come up with a, a unified theory of everything, right? To explain how all of this stuff works together. Um, there, the intuition of other Terran scientists had been to give up on it, right, and to to divert their physics into purely ...pragmatic directions, right? That intuition had been sound... ...Shevik says, right? They were right. Um, they didn't... They they couldn't understand it. There was no way they were going to come up with the universal theory... ...right? That embraced all these things. Einstein himself had refused to accept that. He wanted to continue trying... ...but he failed, right? He couldn't do it. Their t- intuition... ...that it wouldn't work... ...was sound, Shevik says... Ainsetain's refusal to accept that was also sound, right? His desire to continue to push for it was, was sound, was equally correct in the long run, right? He couldn't achieve it. He had lacked the tools to provide it, the cyber variables and the theories of infinite velocity and complex cause. Cyber variables, by the way, there's your hand-waving, Right, there's your, like, what is that? We don't know. It's Setian physics, right? Who knows? We're only earthlings. We don't understand uh, cyber variables. Um, the theories of infinite velocity and complex cause. His unified field existed in Setian physics, but it existed on terms which he might not have been willing to accept, for the velocity of light as a limiting factor had been essential to his great theories. Both his theories of relativity, that is the special theory and the general theory, were as beautiful, as valid, and as useful as ever after these centuries, and yet both depended upon a hypothesis that could not be proved true, and that could be, and had been proven, had been proved in certain circumstances, false. Shevik's talking about the speed of light here. Right? Um, the, the, the assumption... One of the frameworks of Einstein's theory um, is the the fa- the idea that the speed of light is a, an absolute barrier that nothing can go faster than the speed of light um, speed of light is uh, the, the uh, taking the, the the velocity of light as a limiting factor is indeed essential to his great theories he takes um I mean again it's like th- think of course about the Einstein equation that everybody knows it's not relativity but e equals mc squared right that equation is the relationship between energy and matter right that's not relativity but anyway it's 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 but c of course right e equals energy m equals mass c in e equals mc squared is the speed of light right so you see what he's talking, even from that simple equation that everybody knows, though most people don't know what it means when they quote it, even though it's a really simple equation. Um, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared is a remarkably simple equation. And the insight that he had, What the and again, it is a cornerstone uh, to his theories, is to say the speed of light is a constant, right? And it is a limiting factor. There is no velocity faster than the speed of light. And his theory of relativity is based upon that idea. Um, And it was a gorgeous insight. I mean, when you accept the speed of light as a constant and you use the speed of light uh, as he does use the variable c, not just in that one very simple equation, but in the other far more complicated equations of special and general relativity, um, you, you in fact get... Uh, it's, it's not only beautiful, but it is, in fact, valid. It's, it's useful. It's great. The theory of relativity really works. Um, except it's not quite right. And this, by the way, is really kind of lovely from a physics standpoint. Um, uh, so, of course, prior to the theory of relativity, uh, the motion of objects was uh, understood to be fully explained or fully describable. By Newtonian mechanics, right? Um, so you just got, you've got like the old Newtonian laws of physics, like the laws of motion, um, you know, the law of inertia and, you know, equal and opposite reaction, and uh, force equals mass times acceleration and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, the speed of light in a vacuum, no, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, thank you for that qualification. Um, anyway, Newtonian mechanics. Um, everyone you know, this was, this was everyone accepted. This is, this is the, uh, the full description of, of motion. What, um, one of the, one of the sort of the first things that Einstein shows in the special theory of relativity is that if the speed is fast enough, if the velocity of a thing, um, goes really fast. So, uh, Okay, here's a really, really, really crude way of summarizing the special theory of relativity. Um, Newton said, "Here's the simple equation that you can use to describe the the the, the motion of an object, right?" Um, and Einstein says, and the theory of relativity says, "Okay, you've got that equation that still works, but you then uh, then you have to um, you have to add this other factor." Right, it's not quite right. You have to adjust for relativistic effects, which means um, there's this other factor. In order to perfectly accurately describe it, there's this other factor that you have to do, which is which involves the ratio of the velocity of the thing to the speed of light. Which means, in practical terms, if something is going at normal speeds, right? If something is going at normal speeds way 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 below the speed of light then the relativistic effect is completely negligible it's like unmeasurable right so at low speeds like if you're talking about throwing a baseball or something like that um you there th- there are no relativistic there're no measurable relativistic effects right it's it, it follows newton's equations right in other words einstein doesn't say newton is totally wrong right let's put all the, the 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 motion equations on their heads right and start again from scratch what he said was they're basically right at low speeds but when you get up to high speeds things get funky right if you have an if you could throw a baseball at close to the speed of light what you would observe would now be very measurably different from what the the newtonian laws all by themselves uh, would um, would predict. What Shevik has done here is he's Einstein to Einstein. It's so cool, right? So Einstein is like, Newtonian mechanics is basically correct, except when the velocity gets close to the speed of light and then it gets funky. Right? Uh, what Shevik is saying to Einstein here is like, relativity is basically correct because the speed of light is like almost constant. Right? Um, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not quite, uh, it's not, it's not quite constant, right? Um, Noam Weiss is talking about the, uh, the book by the ex-KCD author, uh, who, I was, th- I was thinking about that very comic strip, Noam, that, 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 that comic blog entry, uh, because this very evening, uh, my thirteen-year-old son was upstairs reading that book, uh, the, the 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 what if book by the XKCD author. Um, but anyway, uh, so, so yes, no, that's why I use that illustration because that 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 very that that very picture and, uh, and blog entry was was uh, was was on my mind. Um, anyway, I, um, so I just I, as like, from a physics standpoint, I think this is so cool how, how Shevik has Einstein, Einstein here and been like, yeah, it's, 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 the it's you still basically, I mean, relativity still basically holds up except like sometimes under some circumstances, the speed of light isn't exactly constant. So you, you've got to, you've got to have a wider theory, uh, in order to be able to just as, just as you need relativity in order to really understand the motion of things. So cool. Anyway. Okay. All right. All right. Um, but was not a theory of which all the elements were provably true a simple tautology so okay so no, notice what he's saying here he's like okay so on the one hand incertain was wrong right Shevik asserts, and we are expected to accept it because we're Terrans and we don't understand Setian physics, right? We, I, do you know about cyber variables? I don't know about cyber variables, so I can't help you. So it's fine. Um, we're ignorant Earthlings, and all we, we can we can understand relativity, but not but not more than that. What Setian physics has proven is that the velocity of light is not a limiting factor. It's not. Um, he didn't have the theory of infinite velocity, right? Um, again, it's one of the f- one of the, f- the, the 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 foundation stones of special relativity is that there is no such thing as infinite velocity. Velocity has an absolute cap. Okay. So, very brief summary of the first paragraph of this passage that I've quoted. Um, Einstein was wrong. He was wrong. He was wrong. One of the core elements of his theory has been proven untrue. Now what would Sobel or Pei or Oye do in response? Chuck it away. Nobody reads Ainsain anymore, right? He's able to get a copy on, 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 uh, on, on Uris, but nobody takes him seriously. Right? Setian physics is way past that. What Schewick does is move pa- is is no, he is not content with simply saying his assumptions are wrong, Einstein's assumptions are wrong. But was not a theory in which all the elements were provably true a simple tautology? In the region of the unprovable or even the disprovable, lay the only chance for breaking out of the circle and going ahead. Circle, linear. Right? Because there is a cycle, you can establish linear time. Because time is linear, the cycle can evolve and grow. You can have evolution and growth within the cycle. right? Both elements of time, both true, both different aspects of time, crucial aspects of time. If Your theory, if everything in it is provably true, it's just a tautology. It just becomes a little cycle, right? But you can break out of that cycle in the region of the unprovable or even the disprovable. Again, holding two things in your head simultaneously. I apologize to people who aren't in the least interested in time or physics. Um, I, I've been talking about general, rel- special relativity, primarily way more than I had planned this evening. <laughs> um, Uh, and, uh, and by the way, I will apologize if I mislead anybody. That is to say, I, I say all these things under correction for people who are much better scientists than I, my own understanding of relativity is, uh, several decades stale. So I might even be screwing some things up, but, um, uh, but I always loved relativity. Anyway, if you are like, if if you're not into the physics stuff here and you're not already sound asleep, um, the thing that I would encourage you to think about, every single one of the things that I've been talking about, all of this stuff about Einstein and the physics and the nature of time and all this stuff, every speck of it is applicable to the all the other elements of this story as well. This stuff is important, not just because physics and time are important in this story, though they are, right? But they are important because this gives us this passage, this passage where he's working through and thinking about Einstein's theories and this is going to lead him in the in a few paragraphs he is going to arrive at the general temporal theory, right? He's going to get there. Um and uh that's not only sort of the the climax of Shevik's life, of Shevik's career. It's the it's the fulfillment of his calling, right? But this is also I think that this passage is the center of the story, not just for that reason, but it's the center of the story because it gives us a way it's I won't say it's the key, because that's always too crude a way of talking about it, but um we need to be seeing the parallels between what's going on in the physical world. You know those walls bet- that, ins- that Einstein was was acknowledging between physics and ethics and everything else? That's a hint, right? We need to take down those walls as we were thinking about it because Chevik certainly doesn't maintain those walls, right? Um, so if you're not at all interested in the physics, feel free to continue asking yourself this question again and again. What does this have to do with NRSD society? What does this have to do with Shevik and his identity, his isolation and his his solidarity? right? What does this have to do with Shevik and the rebels, with Shevik and the physicists on Urus, with Shevik and Sambl, with Shevik and Takther, right? Um I hold that all of this stuff is a, is just as Shevik... Used the book as, and I suspected of being this book, right? That he used the book as an as a metaphor, as an analogy. No, it wasn't a metaphor. It was it was a simile, um, as a simile to 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 illustrate what time is like. So the theories of time that Shevik is developing, uh, uh, and the things that he's reading from Einstein, are themselves an analogy for the relationship between. Uris uh, and Inaris, for uh, Shevik and his revolutionary role in society. Um, all of this, it doesn't just all fit together. It's one. It's unified. Um, and the better you can understand these concepts, if it doesn't end up enriching your like understanding of like how the universe works, it's totally fine. But hopefully it will help to enrich your understanding for what's going on. What the, what's going on in the rest of the themes of this uh, of this book. Okay, so let's break out of the circle and go ahead. In which case... Did, this is immediately the next paragraph. In which case did the unprovability of the hypothesis of real coexistence, the problem which Shevik had been pounding his head against desperately for these last three days, and indeed these last ten years really matter. That's a hugely important sentence. Okay. Shevik's been frustrated. Remember how frustrated Shevik has been, right? Ever since his, you know, his time at the Institute um, in Abinai, right? Remember when he was contemplating suicide, right? Both because he was, you know, he was like... Confronting his own existence as a nook nib for the first time and like his own, his being cut off from solidarity with his, uh, with, with, from the Brotherhood, right? That, so this is one thing that is going on, but also he wasn't, he wasn't getting it. What stopped him? Why has he not come up with the general temporal theory already, right? Why has he has been working on it for 10 years? Why does he not have it yet? Because of the unprovability of the hypothesis of real coexistence, that coexistence of simultaneity and sequencing, right? He can understand conceptually that both ways of th- conceiving time are equally valid. He can even see that both are essential, that it's not just that they're like both equally valid and either one of them might be true. They must both be true. But he can't prove it. He can't prove it mathematically. That's his problem. That's been his problem, right? And now he's confronting that problem in a new way. Since, so again, let's go back to the transition here. Was not a theory in which all the elements were provably true a simple tautology? Can you describe truth? Can you create a link between theory and reality? By a theory in which all of the elements are provably true, isn't that just a tautology? In the region of the unprovable or even the disprovable, what if in there lay the away ch- the only chance for breaking out of the circle and going ahead? Right? Again, like that union itself. In which case, did the unprovability of the hypothesis of real coexistence the problem which Chevik had been pounding his head against. Did it really matter? He had been groping and grabbing after certainty, as if it were something he could possess. And again, see, if you're not interested in the physics, hopefully that gets your attention, right? As if it were something he could possess, right? He had been demanding a security, a guarantee, which is not granted, and which, if granted, would become a prison. How many how many? How many like warning bells do you need, right? I, I hopefully by now, like your relevance meter is going. Even if you're completely lost in the physics by this point, right? Your 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 flag should be going up, right? Your lights, your warning light should be going off. He had been demanding a security, a guarantee which is not granted, and which, if granted, would become a prison. Certainty is a prison. If you're just in the if your definition is just a closed loop if it's all it's a, if it's a proof because that's what a tautology is right tautology is one of those a a temporal cycles right with neither beginning nor end um it doesn't do anything it doesn't say anything it doesn't accomplish anything so what if we have a coexistence of the provable and the unprovable right of the cyclical circular tautology and the linear creative thought, right? He had been grabbing, groping after certainty. He wanted the definite thing. He wanted the tautology, right? As if it were something he could possess. But if he got it, if he got security, if he absolutely proved it, it would become a prison, by simply assuming the validity of real coexistence, by simply assuming the validity of real coexistence, he was left free to use the lovely geometries of relativity, and then it would seem to be and then it would be possible to go ahead. The next step was perfectly clear: the coexistence of succession could be handled by a Sabin, by a Sabin transformation series. Duh! Right? setian physics. Sabin, uh, did Sabin variables. Right? Obviously. Ah, Sabin variables. Right? Thus approached, successivity and presence offered no antithesis at all. Right? Again, there's simultaneity, sequency. The fundamental unity of the sequency and simultaneity points of view became plain. The concept of interval served to connect the static and the dynamic aspect of the universe. How could he have stared at reality for ten years and not seen it? There would be no trouble at all in going on. Indeed, he had already gone on. He was there. He saw all that was to come in this first seemingly casual glimpse of the method, given him by his understanding of a failure in the distant past. The wall was down. The vision was both clear and whole. What he saw was simple, simpler than anything else. It was simplicity. It contained in it all complexity, all promise. It was revelation. It was the way clear, the way home, the light. And there, my friends, is every single theme and motif of this entire book shoved into one paragraph. Right? That's it. That's it I mean they got this paragraph is the center of the entire book. this is it. this is it. So if you want to get the book, this is the wrap your head around the what does the dispossessed mean right? who is dispossessing what or dispossessed in what sense right? Uh, I, 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 hey hey look we can be fancy right um, okay so so here we are right right? Um, uh, 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 so we start off with the, with the, with the, with the possession, right? And we get the prison, right? Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, and then of course we get the, we, we get the whole like fundamental unity, right? The whole brotherhood, the whole solidarity thing. Boy, am I bad at drawing lines with my cursor. Um, right. And then of course we get the wall, coming down at this is the wall coming down. Hey, that's a much better line. Right. Um, and then you get Oh, and oh, and then just as a bonus the way home. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Kay Ben Abraham says I've taken off so many hats to Le Guin by now that I will be bareheaded for the rest of my life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, Yeah, so here it is. It's all here. It's all here. Um, The the sort of the thematic core of the entire book compressed into one moment. And what is that moment? That moment of the perception of simplicity a simplicity which contains within it all complexity, all promise, right? That if you simply assume the validity of real coexistence, why does he come to Urus? Why does Shevat come to Urus? Because he wants to bring together Urus and Anaris, right? He wants to create... He's changing the frame of reference. He's not content with the Anaresti framework, which says Anaris is all there is and all that needs to be, right? And we, we, we're going to ignore everybody and everything else, right? He wants to widen the frame of reference to include, to include Urus, right? Solidarity, brotherhood, right? Uh, we do coexist. We can coexist together, right? Yes, Neil, exactly. He's trying to unify, the two worlds, just as he's trying to unify, uh, just as he, he he's wanting to unify the uh, uh, the 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 theory, right? The the, the the these concepts. So yeah, all of it, all of it maps onto. Uh, all it maps onto all the other stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, um and yes, no, exactly. As soon as Shevik knows the first step he's already at the end, right? He can see like, okay, uh, I mean, look at that there. uh, There would be no trouble at all in going on, right? The path, the linear path is clear in front of him. I'm at this step. I just go that step and then that step and then that step and then I'll be there. Except he was there, right? He saw all that was to come in this first seemingly casual glimpse of the method. He sees the sequence laid out in front of him, and he grasps it all simultaneously, right? It's awesome. It's awesome, right? And you are absolutely right, uh, Noam. Yeah, um, we haven't really talked about light. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning, remember? Anaris is a bowl of light. Remember the light and darkness stuff that we looked at way back in week one, right? So we we we, we kind of pointed to that in the same way we pointed to the math stuff and then kind of left it behind lots of light and dark stuff you could do uh in this in this book as well and of course we do get we do get that one so do do i need another i need to get my pencil back right the light yeah clearly um that's that's obviously an important thing here too um yeah 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 um kind of amazing, right? Um let me go back to the dispossessed thing. As if it were something he could possess, right? Um so what was his what you see the insight that he just gets about himself here? Why could not why 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 was he failing to come up with a general temporal theory because he was approaching it as a proprietarian. He was approaching it as an intellectual proprietarian, right? As if he could possess certainty. Why do people lock the doors of their houses? Right? For security. A security. A guarantee. Right? That's why you close. You lock the doors of your house. Or, you know understandably, why you would lock the door if, like, a bunch of guys with black coats and machine guns were chasing you, right? Because you're interested in security and a guarantee. But even under those circumstances, when you lock the door, as Shevik sees, you're in prison, right? When you lock the door, you're in prison. Shutting out and shutting in, it's the same action, right? By seeking after an intellectual guarantee, he had been locking himself into a prison. How did he lock himself into a prison? By thinking of certainty as something he could possess, right? When he relinquishes his need to possess certainty, when he ceases to be a an intellectual proprietarian, right? Um, not even intellectual. That's not even a fit adjective. Like a, a certainty, propertarian, right? Um, then he becomes free, right? He is possessed. Remember the f- the times that word has come up, right? It's come up especially of women on Urus, right? Remember in his conversation with Vea, you're possessed, right? You're, you're, you're possessions of men. You can't be happy that way, right? Um, he himself is possessed. He becomes imp- he is enslaved, right? He is in prison as long as he had been demanding security and a guarantee, right? So what is the dispossessed time? becomes, he dispossesses time, right? Dispossessed is a, is a fascinating, right? It's not unpossessed, right? It's not like the thing that never did get possessed. If something is dispossessed, it is a thing which had been possessed and is no longer possessed, right? So initially, I mean, uh, when um, my first read through the book, like when I was halfway through the book, if you, the first time, if you'd ask me, what is this, the the significance of the title? The very first thing that would have come to my mind was Odo, right? And the and the the revolution, right? The people of Anaris are the dispossessed, obviously, right? Because they used to be possessed, right? They were like the you know the serfs and the the you know the unpropertied class of uh, of of Urus, and they were under the thumb of the 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 power grubbing profiteers. So, query, query. They were dispossessed, right? By going to Inaris, they become dispossessed. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I still agree with that, right? It still works. But of course, there's so much more than that, right? Um, And in the end, it's time itself. um, It's time itself that is dispossessed, in a sense. Anyway, and he then... Becomes dispossessed. He's finally let himself out of the prison. This sort of deepest internal prison, right? Conceptual prison that he was locked in. And when he does, what does he notice? The wall is down, right? The wall is down. Um, The vision was both clear and whole. Whole. Not two halves of a thing, right? Not the two opposite. The whole thing. Right. He's able to see all at once. And why? Because it's both the cycle and the linear. Um, simplicity and complexity. It was the way clear, the way home. Yeah. Yeah. So, James, I do think that this relates back to the vision he had as a child. Absolutely. That, that dream. Yeah. That dream of, of, of satisfaction. Though even in his dream, he was still in the darkness under the wall, right? That was the dream, mostly. The light, right? I don't remember. I know, it's it's been a while. In his dream, the wall didn't come down, right? Like, he got through it, but the wall didn't come down. We didn't get the light, right? That, I think, is really unique to this moment. I might be misremembering, uh... I've only read this book twice, so I'm prone to forget stuff. I'd have to go back in my own slides to recheck that passage. But, uh, if you find it, remind me. Um, okay. This is my, do I want to go on to the next slide face? Uh, we could power through a few more slides, but I don't want to I think I want to leave it here. I want to leave it with this paragraph. um We did a lot of heavy lifting here this evening uh in uh in 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 getting through this stuff, and uh those again, those of you who are not into physics and don't like relativity are probably thinking that this was um long enough already but uh will i i I think I can get through. The rest of it next week um, I want to um, I want to talk about a few things for next time I want to talk about um, the Terran Ambassador and the Ansible I want to talk about his return to Anaris at the end and when we talk about his return to Anaris at the end, I want to talk about this is a motif I've been kind of saving. Um, this question of coming home. We've hit on it before, remember? What is the next step? Like Odo and the settlers went out, right? What's the next step? Past them is the step back, right? Remember that? Um. We'll. Um, I want to come back to that when we actually finally get him returning, right? Um, we're gonna. We're gonna have to be talking about that, I think, next time. So, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about the way home, next time. Um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, okay. So that's what we'll do next time. We're totally gonna finish the book next time. It's gonna be awesome. Thank you for joining me and for your very great forbearance and patience uh with me as i kind of uh, I, i fear i made heavy weather of the relativity stuff but um uh but i hope at least uh my goal tonight chiefly was to share my own awe at uh the incredible intellectual and artistic richness of this book which is really just amazing but um anyway okay cool Thanks very much, everybody, and I will see you guys next week to finish things out. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye now.